my friends. We are all interested in the future, for that is where you and I are going to spend the rest of our lives. And remember, my friends, future events such as these will affect you in the future. In the unknown, the mysterious, the unexplainable, that is why you are here. And now, for the first time, we are bringing to you the full story of what happened on that fateful day. We are giving you all the evidence based only on the secret testimony of the miserable souls who survived this terrifying ordeal. The incidents, the places. My friend, we cannot keep this a secret any longer. Let us punish the guilty. Let us reward the innocent. My friend, can your heart stand the shocking fact about... Radio Mysterioso. Hi, uh, it's Radio Mysterioso here for today, the uh, 3rd of February 2008, and as promised last week and the week before, and on UFO Mystic, our guest is Rochelle Hawks. Um, Rochelle, uh, she writes a column called Medusa's Ladder on the Been All of America site. Uh, she's also part of a group of female writers on the paranormal at the website or blog site Women of Esoterica. She's also written articles for UFO Digest, and her homepage blog is Beamships Equal Love. The first thing I usually ask every everybody that's on this show... I ask it of myself. Why the hell would you be interested in the paranormal anyway? It's not really that important to most people. Really? Well, I think well, it I is if you bring it up, but it's not a day-to-day -day like, thing. Why wouldn't somebody be interested in it? It's so interesting. Yeah. Because it's not like a day-to-day -day thing everybody thinks about. But, you know, you and me and a lot of people we know, it's like kind of, that's, for some reason, it just uh, is the thing that, interests us you know some people ride motorcycles some people whatever but this is it i i don't know what i don't know what kind of person it attracts i guess kind of an anarchistic person with uh with a bookish uh, uh habits i suppose maybe or just the whole idea of mysteries and stuff because that's kind of what i like to read too like fiction like i like mysteries and sherlock holmes and just anything that's um maybe kind of mysterious and I don't know, it just falls in line with I guess what I've always been interested in the unknown and death and things that I just can't imagine everybody's not kind of obsessing about <laughs> exactly <laughs> so uh, do you, can you like trace some event or thing in your life or is just that kind of kicked you into the this mode or is it just something it seems like it's always been well, with you I think you know I can't not a particular event, but I do remember being very, very young and being, getting really freaked out just thinking about the universe and how the universe never ends. And I would really get that kind of freaky, ultra, um, hyper-reality where your brain just kind of stops, you know, and just, uh -huh. I was really um, very intrigued with that idea of paradoxes. I mean, really young, like, when, when I was two, you know, when my mother was pregnant with my sister, so I know I was two, I remember thinking about things like that, and I couldn't, like, where is this baby coming from, you know, that my, my sister, and I mean, I guess it was just something that I always was interested in and, and thought about, so, and I, like I said, it's a mystery to me how other people just seem to kind of accept things like that without... Question, questioning them 
So I don't know. I can I can, guess I can say that I've always been intrigued with the unknown. So it, it's just something that's deep within you. It's not because a lot of people had kind of a some kind of event that kicked it off. I know that. Uh, I guess maybe Reagan was, but. She's had all kinds of sightings and possible abduction experiences and all that. It, nothing like that ever really happened to you, or has it? No, I don't. No, I don't have any. Exp- I mean, I've had some weird things happen, but I think it, a lot of it might just be um, observations based on my interest in the things. You know, would I notice these things if I wasn't so interested in, in them, or give them any kind of credence at all? I don't know. Um, but no, I haven't had any. I mean, we used to see weird things in the sky. We used to travel. I actually did talk about this on Adam's show. That's okay. <laughs> you know what? Forget it. We used to travel a lot it. in the car um, and when I was little. And my sister and I used to stare up at the sky. And we used to see all kinds of weird stuff, you know. And I don't think they were UFOs, but, I mean, you know. So we've seen stuff and experienced stuff, but I don't, you know, I don't have any UFO, ex- like, abductee experiences or anything like that. So... But I've related stories to people that of weird kind of strange little things and um, people say, you know, oh, that's a screen experience or, you know, and it's just not, you know. So I guess, I don't know. I, I'm pretty skeptical in general, honestly. About uh, most of these things, like, uh, like you know what? I wasn't even going to bring it up because it's not my questions, but um, about the Stephanville UFO stuff that everybody's all excited about now. I mean, yeah. uh, personally, I'm, I'm starting to write a column called uh, Why I Don't Care About the Stephanville UFOs. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, it's, ran- it's really random. I mean, it doesn't even seem like it has a lot of uh, value. I don't know. Anyway, go ahead. What you, I, so it's pronounced Stephenville. I, I don't know why I was in my head pronouncing it Stephenville. I think it's I both. Things. Stephenville. We'll have to ask the, the town itself how they like to have the... <laughs> I don't know. It looks like Stephen to me. Stephen, it's S-T-V, S-T-E-V-E-N. No, Stephen is spelled... Well, it could be spelled like that more with a P-H. I know. It's just... It looks like that. So when it's E-P-H, I it say will, F. We'll call it Stephenville for yeah. the time being. It's just, I've been so disinterested in it that I haven't read up on anything on it, and um, I haven't posted on it. But other people are furiously posting about it and talking about it, and it's it just seems like one of those things where like uh, a bunch of people saw stuff in the sky. There's all kinds of different explanations for it. It's not going to make any difference in another week or two, and people are going to forget about it in another month. Right. You know, like many other flaps, unless something really groundbreaking happens and we won't really know about it for probably a long time if it does right and even then you know will it be the truth and does it matter you know and is that really the place to be looking for truth anyway so yeah well if we are looking for some kind of i'm sorry i keep interrupting you because i notice when i just kind of slow down and wait you have a little bit more to say so i'll try and be like that say it again i said um uh if i slow down and wait uh, and let you finish your thought. Uh, you, it depends on the kind of person I'm interviewing. Sometimes it's just a bam, 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 bam. Other times, you know, I I have to kind of let the person talk because I'm I'm usually on the show. I'm in a different state of mind. I'm thinking about a million miles an hour. So oh yeah. So I'm sorry about that, but um, okay. I'll try and slow down a bit. Slow down my internal clock. 
so what what you said about um, that's not where the answer is or to be looking for whatever truth or meaning we can have in this, where do you think we could look? What Can you give examples? What are you interested in, in the, along that line? Well, I guess um, I just don't know if this whole disclosure thing is... I personally don't really know if, you know, that's even interesting to me, the idea of disclosure and just the idea that the government can or should have any information about UFOs or I just, I don't really know a lot about the whole military government aspect of it. And that's just not really where my interest lies in it. So, I mean, it might be the answer and they might have answers, but that's not really where my personal interest lies. And I'm more of a kind of socio-cultural uh, type of, um, have that kind of a take on it. Um, so that's, you know, and I don't really propose that that's where everybody should look, but I feel like for myself, that's really where I find meaning in it, and that's, you know, maybe where I should look for meanings, and just maybe kind of reading the whole thing as a text rather than getting invested in beliefs about it or truth or whatever and just taking it, taking the stories for face value is what I tend to do to try to extract some meaning from it. But as far as examples, um, like I said, just reading the whole, reading the stories like a text, um, I guess, you know, you can find all kinds of crazy things in them. Like try to look at the whole UFO mystery through different ways, like just the saucer shapes and um, the ways people describe them. I think we can find meaning in just even the words that are used and uh, my latest idea is this whole cryptobotanical theory and the idea that how plants are associated with UFO narratives and I'm kind of working on a thing about um, how they relate to the Chinese elements Oh, yeah. And I don't know. So just kind of looking at it through different lenses, I think we could maybe glean some meaning from it. I got people on my back when I come up with things, uh, with ideas like, well, let's get rid of objectivity for a while. And that mm -hmm. seems to irritate lots of people. Um, yeah. Or at least a few very loud ones, as you know, and we might discuss right. later. Um, that the meaning is so different for different people that trying to put them in boxes like that and saying this is what happened, this was the time of day, this is where the moon was or the sun was or whatever, that's fine. But uh, there's a lot more data or meaning or an answer, I think, maybe available in people's subjective reactions to the paranormal. Right. Yeah, I totally agree. And it doesn't, like, how could it hurt to look at it through that type of lens? It can't. It's not taking anything away from the technical aspect or from the objective measure. I mean, we've already, you know, that's been going on for a long time, and it seems like it doesn't really ever necessarily lead anywhere, and I'm sure some people would argue with that, but I don't I don't personally want to do that. So right. I, if I'm going to think about it, you know, and write about it, then I'm going to have to find a different way to do it because I really don't care about, you know, the distance of this and the Venus and whatever. So I can only, you know, do it in ways that are interesting and 
may be meaningful to me. So, like I said, it, but it doesn't take away anything but maybe someone's belief about it. You know, and I think that's where people make mistakes or, you know, maybe putting beliefs onto the whole thing. I think it's a big mistake because then it becomes kind of like a... has elements of religion, I think. Yeah, where there's nothing backing up what the person says except I'm right. Right. Or just an already framed view of what it of what it means, you know, right. or what it is, or... So, yeah. I would agree that, you know, maybe an objective look, like you were describing, is not really the smartest way to go about it at this point. Or, yeah, it's just one of many, and like you said, it's uh, what you're interested in is where you're going to find fruit, not in somebody else's view of the thing or something that's been gone over hundreds of times and hasn't gotten anywhere as far as we can see or very far, really. Right. So why not explore these other things? Humans are not just logical creatures. They're also emotional and um and uh, intuitive creatures, and there's the, the, that tends to be ignored by a, a lot of people who are looking for, I guess, um, respectability or something, which I don't think they're ever going to get, at least coming from the UFO community, really, right. widespread yeah, acceptance. Agree. It's not just – I don't think it's going to happen. It hasn't happened by now. You know, it's probably going to come from the outside – um, right. and not from inside the UFO community, just like a change in the way people look at things or suddenly everybody realizes that that emotional, intuitive side of us is just as important as as the analytical side. Um, right, I agree. Because uh, a lot of breakthroughs have come from that and not, you know, not, not solely from deductive reasoning, the scientific method, etc., which I'm not denigrating. Um, I right. guess I denigrate it as a religion more than uh, as a as a um, way of getting at an answer, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I notice in a lot of your um, writing, well, a few of the place, things anyway, there's a interest in um, Western occultism, like in your mm-hmm. article about Crowley and a few other things. Oh, uh-huh. And I noticed in one of the articles that you said that I wasn't really interested in that kind of thing, and I've never really been into it. But from reading what you wrote, it seems like you did uh, good research on it. I mean, I guess we could talk about the Crowley and Lom thing, but just Western occultism in general, does, how does that kind of, uh, inform your thinking or, excuse me, opinions or writing uh, on the paranormal UFOs? Well, um, I guess it is. I'm not sure why I wrote I wasn't interested in it. I think it was, um, I, was I wasn't very interested in uh, Crowley. Oh, okay. And I think that was maybe just because of, he just seemed to me just to be, I didn't know really much about him. And I think I just kind of, it was, I kind of, all I knew was the hype, black magic stuff. And, and I really just, like, I really kind of turned off with this whole idea of people being outrageous and weird and bizarre and, and I guess that's kind of how I viewed him so I didn't really know anything about him and I always kind of just dismissed him and whatnot. but then I started um, doing this research on actually the way I really started writing about the paranormal in general 
um, a couple years ago was I did uh, write an article on this gravestone up in the Salt Lake City Cemetery. And um, it was kind of a thing on the internet for a while. My photo was on Coast to Coast, and um, I had a couple articles in fairly um, in places that were they got a lot of views. And it was this uh, Lily of the Gray, Lily of the Lily E Gray, victim of the B six six six. And it's a local legend, and nobody really knows what it means. And so I was trying to intervene in the legend of it to see if I could kind of change the legend as it progressed to see if I could figure out uh, what this referred to. And it was suggested to me several times that the D666 could refer to Crowley, and I just thought it was kind of too convenient and and I just dismissed it. But when I started considering it and reading his biographies um, and stuff, I felt like maybe that really is, maybe it is about him. You know, maybe that does refer to him. That was his, I mean, that is how he referred to himself in literally the D666. And so I kind of just started um, reading more about occultism then and realized that, you know, this is more of an interest to me than I really ever had given it credit for. And I guess, too, like, I previously kind of, even though I've always been interested in paranormal and UFOs and ghosts, like, the occult itself was something that seemed a little too dark or a little too negative simply because I didn't really know much about it. But it, it is interesting to me, and I do um, read a lot about it. I really like alchemy. I'm really interested in alchemy. It's really, like, modern laboratory. Alchemy really intrigues me. And um, so, yeah, I'm, I do incorporate the, the occult into my ideas, and I, like, I do read a lot about it and stuff. But um, I hope I didn't insinuate somewhere that I didn't like the occult because i do oh no it, it all i remember it saying was that you weren't previously interested in it uh until you started working on that article on uh crowley right. um and from what i read it seemed like you had at least some knowledge of it because of the way you described things and the references you had and all that right and um uh crowley actually to me i think the um the reason for that reputation was, one, he just wanted to keep most people away from him unless people were very interested in what he was doing. Right. You know, just people, you know, attract people to him that were, uh, that weren't afraid to think in ways that were taboo, whether they be about Satanism or whatever, which he wasn't interested in at all, really. Right. Um, right. I don't even think there was a, such a thing really as Satanism. There was devil worship and all that, but not Satanism. I think that was more popularized right. by... Anton LaVey, but mm -hmm. um, my view of him from probably from reading, reading Robert Anton Wilson was more like kind of a um, a super self-introspective psychology type of thing, yeah. and all this other stuff was was uh, the trappings of trying to get to the center of that and to interact with the outside world and whatever was subconsciously uh, below that, not just in your subconscious, but as an alternate separate reality that we don't perceive normally, but that can be used for other things. 
And the, yeah. Yeah. And the other problem with Crowley is the people that are attracted to him. It's like, kind of like that. Um, I don't want to be a member of a club that would have, you know, that right. would have me because those people, for the most part, at least now in the last, what, 15 or 20 years that I was interested in it, those kind of people seem to be more like um, new age versions of Ayn Randism or something. Yeah. Or even yeah, Satanism. Kind of the whole society for creative anachronism type crowd or, I don't know, I have a, I'm not very good with uh, dealing with groups of people, but yeah, I mean, I there are several um, places on the internet that are pretty, like the whole, that lashdoll.com, I don't know if you've ever been there, but it's the home of the Aleister Crowley Society, and it's a, but, I mean, these guys are really, like, you know, kind of super um, intellectual, and and I think it, that's the place I find that people really know what they're talking I mean, it's very scholarly, uh-huh. you know, and I think it really fits with uh, Crowley, and I feel like if, you know, he were alive, that's probably where he'd be hanging out on the internet, too. But then there's a lot, but see, that's not the hype. That's, you know, where people really um, tend to kind of take it on as an intellectual kind of undertaking rather than just this crazy, like, you know, devil-worshipping, madman, rock star type of scenario. Yeah, I get the impression that uh, the public side of that is usually... Uh, made up of people that when they get into it, they wonder, that their first question is, when do I get to smite, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I got picked on in high school or whatever, and now I want to go out yeah. and smite, you know. I, right. I, I, I may be misrepresenting a little bit, but those are the kind of people I tended to meet um, yeah. when I try to get involved with that kind of thing, which turned me off of it immediately, at least the Crowley, yeah. you know, uh, the OTO and Thelemic stuff. Yeah, I I wouldn't be able to do anything like that for sure. Yeah, I think you kind of have the same idea as me. When you get more than like two or three people in one place doing the same thing, I I tend to uh, run away from it. <laughs> I'm pretty much right there too. Yeah, <laughs> it kind of scares me. Uh oh, they're dressing the same and their hands are moving the same way and they're they're chanting things. I think I better go. <laughs> I'm not saying that's bad. It's just not for me, and it sounds like it's not for right. you either. Yeah, I'm, I'm not into that either. I'm not a good participant. Right, exactly. Yeah, most of my occult stuff was done at home by myself with yeah. books and communicating with people by mail um, because the Internet hadn't really come to, you know, hasn't wasn't really a big thing then. So people were still doing things by the U.S. mail. Can you believe it? <laughs> it's a nice old-fashioned thing. So, um, yeah, I got to neophyte level, I think, or something like that. And then I decided the I, huh? The OTO? No, um, a group called the Builders of the Aditum, which is here in LA. It was uh, formed by a guy who used to be part of uh, the Golden Dawn. Then he moved mm-hmm. um, Southern. Well, Paul Foster Case. He moved to Southern California and kind of started his own group. They, they're still around and they still have a building up in Pasadena there. Uh, mm-hmm. I went to one of their or two of their services, and it was just too much like going to regular Christian church. It was all the yeah. same thing, except it was it was um, Kabbalah and and uh, things like that. Really mm. strange. Um, no no problem with the people. I just didn't like going and being in that group. And they said, fine, yeah. if you want to do it over the mail and uh, take your tests by mail and do your study by yourself, that's fine too. And that made you know that made me automatically say, well, these people seem like they're reasonable. So I went through right. their their kind of program. 
And it wasn't that expensive either. I mean, we get in the OTO and they immediately want like, you know, $1,000 from you or something. Mm. I noticed. Yeah, that, that seems a little much. Yeah, or more. And then if you told them, look, I don't have that much to spend, right? And they go, well, then you must not be uh, serious about it. I guess You're I'm not. not ready for it. Yeah, I guess I'm not. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, but then again, I went and spent like $10,000 on flying. So what does that tell you? <laughs> <laughs> we were ready for that, apparently. Yeah, well, and then I had the money, too, at least at that time. Um, oh, you know what? Beam ships equal love. Where did you come up with that title? Well, that's something I explained on Adam's show, but I'll be happy to see it here, too. That's fine. Um, it's, it was just from a poem that I wrote. It's actually, I posted, I said on that show that I would post it, and I posted it over at the Women of Esoterica. Uh, it was just a poem I wrote, probably a little over 10 years ago, and I used to go to a, it was like an interactive poetry site with all kinds of feedback, and I was just kind of bored um, where I was married, and I spent a lot of time on the internet, and chat room, and interactive poetry pages, and kind of pumped out a lot of poems, and that was one that I just really liked, it's just a lot, it's actually the text of the going to Billy Meyer's birthday oh <laughs> and I, mean, I didn't really go to his birthday but you know in the poem i did so that's the poems up at the women of esoterica site yeah that's uh and yeah if you want to find that go to the just go to um what is it Im- women of esoterica blo- dot blogspot dot com yeah, women it's there's no oven it's just women esoterica dot blogspot dot com or if, if you type in women of esoterica in on the search engine it's the first site that pops up if uh, anybody wants to go and read that poem, I, I was uh, in the last day or two. I've been zipping through uh, all of Rochelle's stuff, trying to figure out what we're going to talk about because that's what I do things at the last minute. Um, and I did, I did see that poem, but I didn't realize that it, that's where the t- title had come from. So I asked a stupid question again, and we got to repeat what you said on Adam's show. Oh well. <laughs> What what do you think about Billy Meyer? So I got in a little discussion with somebody online about Meyer, and he said, well, I think he had the same thing as a lot of contactees. Something happened to him, and it made it okay for him to make up stuff later. And I thought about it, and I goes, you know what? That probably is kind of what happened to him. Um, there's either that or he just made everything up from the beginning. Right. I think, I don't know. It's one of those things, like, I don't know how you'd ever be able to find out the truth. Like, I just, I can't even imagine what that whole story could be. I can't, I can't even... Like, where would you start even trying to decipher that guy's experiences? I don't know. It, it just, it's completely mysterious, you know? It just, like, those the ships themselves, like, I think they just look so fake. Like, how could it, and plus they found those models, and, okay, so obviously there was some, like, pretty much known fakery. But, I mean, I think there's a lot, I don't know that much about his story, but um, I think there is some evidence that, he wasn't making some of that up. So I don't know. I mean, it's the same thing with the whole, um, like the mediums back in the golden age of spiritualism, the same thing, you know, the way they restricted the women, you know, like naked and um, bound them. And then there would still be these, you know, like fake, you know, phenomena. Like how did it, 
you know, so just because something's fake doesn't mean it's not phenomenal. That's a good quote. I don't know how you'd start to even know how, what his story is. Yeah, that's a good quote. Just because it's fake doesn't mean it's not phenomenal. Right. Uh, at least it's... Yeah, I think... Go ahead. I was going to say, I wrote, some, I wrote an article about... Um, oh, I can't remember. It was some article about spiritualism, and I wrote... So it was about feminism and spiritualism and just, like, the mediums and the way that the men were... That they were literally called the controllers. I mean, it's a very kind of ripe text for deciphering, but... Um, you know, I just, I wrote something like the, you know, the most, the best bit of fortune telling to even ever come out of that was, you know, that these women ended up producing amazing miracles, even though they were bound. You know, I mean, that was pretty much kind of, you know, an allusion to what would happen later, you know, given the right to vote and the whole, you know, women's lib- liberation. And I mean, it just, you know, is it really about contacting the dead or is it about, you know, what really happened, you know, being able to produce that kind of stuff? I, don't, I guess I kind of see that, that the same way with um, these weird things that happen with contactees and Billy Meyer. And, and I think it's pretty amazing that people are still taking him seriously. So, I mean, I think that in itself is um, pretty amazing that it's still even a controversy if it's all fake then where is the controversy so maybe it's not fake i don't know i well, guess i need to read more but i guess there's a deep new dvd out that um he seems to kind of be on people's minds lately and i found that there's a new dvd that someone's produced it's supposed to be pretty good yeah it's um well i i guess uh because of my my personality and being a guy and all that, I just think, well, maybe it's just, you know, like I said, something he made up, then it makes it okay to make up stuff later. But, you know, or something that happened to him at first and made it okay for him to make a stuff up later. But, right. you know, far more interesting is why do people keep believing it? Um, where right. do the messages come from? Is he just making it up in his head or... You know his his messages aren't really that complicated. Like like most channeling and spiritualism and all that, the people are sitting there thinking, "Oh, this message is coming from the gods or God or the spirit world or whatever," and it's really not anything that people haven't thought of before anyway. Right? No, you know, no big revelation. But the the fact that people listen to them and think they're important is just as important as. Um, as 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 thinking, oh, he's fake, and trying to figure that trying to figure that part out, you know. Right. Well, and it's being produced somehow, so obviously it exists. You know, it's. I don't know. So I mean, I, I guess I, it's hard for me to believe. You know that there's some like the channeling and stuff. Like I just don't, I'm I'm not thinking like there's you know necessarily these entities. It, it's it's the the messages themselves, you know, should perhaps be taken seriously. And, you know, it's, it's kind of silly to argue the point, you know, where are they coming from? They're coming from somewhere because they exist. So, I mean, you can debate about where they're coming from or you can look at the message, you know. So I guess I tend to try to look at the message and see what's going on rather than try to figure out where it's coming from because I don't know. Maybe it is important, but I, I don't know how I could find out. 
Yeah, I don't know if I could find out either. But yeah, I'm I'm actually just as interested in where the message could be coming from, because I think in in some spirit communications and maybe even UFO contacts and all that, there is a message coming from outside the person's own mind. I'm I'm almost yeah, I, convinced I of that. I agree. I, I think that in many cases is probably true, and I think there's even evidence of, of things like that where it's you know information that the person wouldn't have had. And I mean that's that's why I like spiritualism actually is because I would like to think that there's you know an afterlife that's that's not about you know a bad sky god or something. So yeah, I mean I would hope that there was something like that, or you know we could find ways to contact other realities or entities or the afterlife or some other dimension or whatever. So, I mean, I, I guess I don't think it, you know, I don't mean to imply that it, um, it doesn't matter, but I don't know if it has to necessarily matter. Right. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I, it would be nice to find out because then there would be some sort of, I don't know what the word is, weird repeatability or something where you could... Yeah. turn and off and on this thing at will and it it seems now that most people that are involved with it it's just them you know so right. i don't know whether they're faking it or what but uh like you said in some cases there's compelling evidence that there's no way whoever it is pulling in these messages could have known certain kinds of information yeah and there's some really weird stories about um I don't know if you're into ghosts or that whole EVP stuff at all. A bit, uh, yeah. What's that? A bit, yes. There's some really weird stuff within that whole kind of um, thing that mirrors uh, some high strangeness of UFO stuff and oh, yeah. subjective stuff and the whole Spiricom thing. Are you familiar with that at all? No, not at all. What's that? No, not at all. I'm not oh, familiar with it that. It is weird. There's, um, have you heard of this ITC group and Mark Macy and, well, it's this, um, oh, what does it stand for? In, inner Trends, I don't know, something, communication. And it's pretty much like this really elaborate group that is um, trying to communicate with the other side. And they've been going since the 80s, 1980s and have all kinds of, they, they developed this machine called the Spiricom. Oh, this and is something I was going to ask about. What's that? This is something I was going to ask about. Oh, yeah, I wrote a big article about it, but it's um, it's so weird. Like, they, they contacted this guy. I, I can't remember his name. I can't believe I can't remember it. But um, anyway, they contact. oh, his last name is, like niece or something. I can't, I'm sorry, I can't remember his name. But um, they contacted this guy, and it's like they have like you know hundreds of hours of his voice on tape, and it's two way conversation. And he's died. And oh, what is his name? Oh well, it doesn't matter. But um, anyway, they've got all these hours of these two way conversations on tape, and it sounds so weird. It's really creepy. It sounds like a robot's voice and. And they're talking about, um, like, how to develop, you know, they're not talking about, like, angels and messages to save the world. They're talking about how to develop this machine. 
And, like, supposedly, like, the whole story of the Spiritcon thing is that there's this whole group on the other side of the afterlife or the veil or this other dimension of people who've died who are also working on this machine. And so, um, so when they, they have all these conversations taped, and that's what they're doing. It's just like a bunch of, it's like what men would probably be talking about if they were all alive, you know? I mean, it seems very convincing and for a hoax, like, why would they talk about that? You know, why wouldn't they try to, if they were hoaxing it, why wouldn't they be trying to, you know, have these angelic messages and channelings and give them all that kind of stuff? They're just talking about going to radio shock and talking about these transducers, and it's crazy. And then they get these conversations with um, some of the people who are working on it. This guy, Constantine Raudive, I don't know how to pronounce his name. Raudive, was working on yeah. it on Earth, like on this side, and then he died, but he calls this guy from the other side, and they have, like, all these deep conversations of their, you know, trying to, like, get these, try these new things out for the machine, and it's weird. And the weirdest thing is some guy found um, this initial contact they have that was, like, their main contact, the guy's whose name I can't remember, and he was... Like, within the story of who he was, he appeared in some guy's living room. And that's how they, like, got to be involved with him working on the Spiritcon machine. He, like, half-materialized in this guy's living room, this psychic. And then so they all put this big Spiritcon thing together. And he was their contact for years and years. And they have pictures of him. He was, like, a real person. So if they hoaxed it, they chose a real, verifiable person with a real verifiable name and photograph and, like, all of his information. He worked at NASA. And so why would they choose him, you know, as their contact? Why would they choose somebody who you could, somebody who was long dead and didn't have any living relatives to not verify his voice and whatnot? Well, it turns out this guy did research, and this guy didn't die when in 1967. He was alive up until, like, 2002 or something. <laughs> And he he was one of the paperclip Nazi guys. Uh, he wasn't a Nazi, but he was the he worked for NASA. He was an American, but he worked with the paperclip Nazi people. And so, I mean, it just it's so you know, so it's kind of some kind of weird psychological experiment, you know, where they use this guy and have materialized him in somebody's living room. I mean, it just it was like a, a hoax perpetrated on these ITC people. Or something. I mean, it is really full of twists and turns, and it's a it's a really weird story that kind of reminds me of the whole idea of you know these abductees in the desert, and you know, um, like I know Reagan has said, you know, she feels that there might have been some kind of hoax, um, maybe by the government. I don't know if she's ever said the government. I don't know if she believes that, but a hoax perpetrated on these abductees, and you know, the whole UFO going to Venus and stuff, and so I don't know. This kind of mirrors that. It's it's really strange. It's a really really weird story. Well, it also sounds like some of the stuff that happened to Raudive or Raudive or whatever, however you pronounce it, yeah, and another guy it. named Raymond Cass, a British guy in the 1950s, who were both doing the same kind of research. They started getting messages dire- directed directly at them um, instead of just these voices coming out. The, the messages would say things, uh, direct them to do things or. Um, maybe even how to improve their uh, their their hit rates on their um, 
uh, EVP research. Um, uh, Rowdy did it with uh, just tape recorders, and I think uh, Cass did it with tape recorders, and then he got really into using shortwave radio. But the yeah. thing is, you know, oh, people can pick up anything on a shortwave radio. But the thing is that the messages were sometimes half in English, half in some other language, sometimes in very bad German, sometimes in, you know, but they always seem to be in, you know, European languages. Um, and um, they would be consistent uh, across a span of time. So, you know, th- there's questions that you would come in as, as a, a skeptic, which suddenly get turned on their head when you realize, you know, unless you just want to not believe them, right. that uh, some there was some sort of interaction going on between them and whatever the source of these voices were. Mm-hmm. And maybe there's, you know, maybe there's some reflexivity going on in there with um, their minds and their subconscious and whatever they're affecting by that, what, probably subconsciously. They don't even know they're doing it. And um, right. it's partially something coming from somewhere else, but also their mind kind of molding and shaping, not really in any kind of um, conscious, logical way, what was coming from, for what, uh, want of a better term, the other side. Yeah, it is a really intriguing, interesting, weird thing. <laughs> and listening to, I don't know if you've, well, I, there's all kinds of stuff to listen to, and it's just one of those things, it's, it's just really creepy, like their voices sound like, if you were going to have a transmission from the afterlife, it's what it would sound like. <laughs> it's just weird. So, let's see. Either they're hoaxing it and doing a real good job, or um, somehow this, this voice said, well, this, you know, this, this entity or voice or phenomenon said, well, I guess it's supposed to sound like this, and it presented right. to him in that way. Just to make it up. Like, let's do it like, make it sound like a robot. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. It's so... And just, like I said, the things that they choose to talk about to me is the most convincing case for it being real, you know, it's because it just seems like that's what those guys would talk about, whether they're alive or dead. Like, you know, there's no pretense of, you know, angels and love and going to Radio Shack, and it just seems about right. It seems about right. Uh Uh-huh. Uh... Yeah, I read a bit. Oh, th- there was a quote I wanted to read out of that article, out of the uh, Spirit Communication. It, it's called "The Box at the End of the World." What a great title for an article! Oh yeah, thanks. Um, and the quote I like best out of it is, "I suggest that these spirit communication boxes are more than mere marginalia of the ghost hunting phenomenon; that they may, in fact, turn out to be the loveliest formed pearl among the f- uh, fleshiest parts." And I believe they eventually will justify and deserve a wider mainstream notoriety and unbiased personal and scientific investigation. There's a lot going on in that statement, but I agree with it wholeheartedly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I really just have a, I don't know, I guess it's part of, I mean, I can't really rationalize my ideas about it, but I, it's just a sense that I get that there's really something to the EVP, the EVPs in the boxes, and just the the way that the people are working on done with such determination and diligence and I feel like it's going to get to, I mean some of the, I mean it's, it might sound crazy, you know, to people who haven't heard the EVPs or haven't um, seen you know, I haven't seen them in person but um, I've seen some videos of them being used in person and I know uh, Christopher Moon has a box that he uses that I, I, there was a thing on YouTube 
where he um, was using this, it was that Frank's box, it's the one he, that's like the most famous one, mm-hmm. and he was using it at some school, it was like this interactive thing, and the voice on the other end like calls in some person that they want to talk to, named Amy or something, and he's like frantically trying to tell her, you have to go and get under, like in the closet, there's a board, and I want you to get under this board and <laughs> dig out the the contents, there's like all this information about a copyright or something. Who would make that up? I mean, how would, I mean, it's not, a, I mean, how could that be a hoax? And I don't think he'd be misinterpreting what he's hearing, but how would it, even if Chris Moon was misinterpreting what this voice on the box was saying, how would he know about this thing being boarded up in a closet? Well, unless he put it there himself and is perpetrating a big hoax, I don't know. That's true, but I, I I, I, I mean, that's almost as, you know, phenomenal as the whole thing. I don't know. And, and I mean, you're right, that could be happening. But I, I doubt that he would go to that. I don't know him, but yeah. he doesn't seem like he would do that. Well, you don't know me either, but I've got this very bad habit of when somebody tells me something they, they wholeheartedly believe, I start arguing with them from the other point of view, whether I agree with them or not. Yeah. Just well, I because think that's I want thing to do. I mean, that's you know, that's kind of argument and debate is all about. And I totally agree. Like, I'm not, I'm not even saying. Oh, you're it's getting cut off. Very, very compelling. And I think the people are people who haven't really listened to a lot of easy. A lot of them are unbelievable and unmistakable. And then you can, you know, then a lot of the skeptics are saying things like. Um, well, you can, you know, how do you know it's coming from that source? How do you know, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, well, how do we know anything? You know, I mean, there's just a certain point, at a certain point, we have to start believing in the source. And we don't wake up every day questioning the nature of, you know, reality. I mean, if we did, we'd probably go insane. You know? So, yeah. And I just remember reading it. I wish I could remember the quote exactly. It was in... I think it was an archaic, the archaic revival, Terrence McKenna book, and mm-hmm. he was um, responding to somebody saying, you know, how do you, you know these um, messages or these voices and these, you know, mushroom voices that you're hearing are from another entity or another reality. He said, what, well, you know, when you get a phone call in the middle of the night, you know, and somebody says, you know, this is blah, 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 you don't say, is this a telephone? Is this a voice? Is this a per- Like, there's just a certain amount of, like, we just can recognize another voice, you know, and I guess, you know, we're used to doing that with other people, but maybe we're not used to doing that with, you know, mushrooms or, or an EVP box or a radio or whatever, but I don't know. I think there's some compelling stuff, and I think it's it's kind of silly to dismiss it just because it seems unreasonable but i don't know i think it's i think it's worth looking at yeah i mean you can either shut it all out and say well this is all bullshit or you can listen to it um turn it over in your mind get more information and um get something out of it that way there's there i think there's and i think um this is what you've been saying there's far more um information inspiration learning and and uh, even fun in uh, exploring something kind of with a, I, I hate to say open mind, but exploring something with a sense of 
curiosity rather than a sense of, well, I'm going to shut this off right now because it's just it it can't be. Therefore, why bother with it right now? Right. And I think too, um, in doing that, it doesn't necessarily say, well, you know, it exists because this radio is picking it up. I mean, that could just be, you know, something we don't understand, or that could be, you know, it's like just because we're viewing it in some context doesn't mean that's how. It's actually working. I don't know. It, I don't even know if that makes sense. But it doesn't explain it necessarily, I guess. You know, just because we can hear the voice of the dead coming through some contraption doesn't necessarily mean... I mean, obviously that's what's making it possible, but it doesn't necessarily explain it all. You know, it doesn't necessarily paint the full picture. So I'm not into dismissing things just because they seem a little weird. Yeah, I mean, it, it's just the, that journey. Well, this is kind of an occult and a chemical thing. The journey and the learning is just Im- as important as whatever you're trying to find out. Right. Um, and if you drop it uh, before you get to, you know, some sort of saturation point or something like that, then you're doing yourself and whatever you're looking at a disservice because um, – just you know, sticking with things, especially with things like this, where there isn't any kind of a clear-cut answer. Um, right. Sticking with it, studying it, um, turning it over to your mind, talking to other people about it, at least other people that are kind of in the same boat as you, um, emotionally and intellectually and all that. Um, it yields more. Um, it's it's a richer experience than than simply turning it off. And actually, it's also a richer experience than completely believing in it and saying, you know, let's take everything that's being said through this box literally. Right. Because that becomes very tiring very quickly too. True. So well, uh, I think too, it's, it's smart to look at the whole history of it. It's really evolved. It's you know, communication with the dead is something that's been done for. You know, since humans have been able to, to to think, you know, about things like that. So it's evolved with every kind of technology, whether it was, you know, sticks in the dirt or phonographs or photographs or telegrams. I mean, every kind of technology you can think of, this has been evolving. So it's not something new. You right. Know? So it's uh, something that seems like it is evolving, and I feel like anything that people work at will somehow end up producing something meaningful. So I guess that's kind of what I was, you know, trying to get to in that statement that you that you read. Right. It's um I I, I had a really great quote and thought, now I've forgotten it, so we won't worry about oh, sorry. it. <laughs> Just like you know, on on the one hand there's the um uh Let's listen to the center of the universe, and let's let's listen to the uh, truths coming from therein. And on the other side, there's a Jacques Vallée quote of "Just because a message come from heaven doesn't mean it's not stupid." Right. Yeah. Um, it also, you know, and somewhere in the middle there, the 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 the, uh, the fruits of our our intellectual striving and labor lie. Mm-hmm. Um. There's been a lot of different, like you said, a lot of different spirit communication devices going on for a long, long time. I noticed, because it wasn't right in the, the purview of your article, but um, 
there are other things like you know pendulums, Ouija boards, um, all those things. Uh, and people, you know, I tried a Ouija board once, and we got nonsense. We got we got told we were communicating with some person from the East Coast, and we got an address and all that. And we found out, you know, after doing some research, it's completely false, and there was no such person that ever existed, and that address wasn't even right. Yeah, but it spells things out in English. I mean, isn't that just kind of weird? Yeah, but where was that message coming from? Was it coming from all of us? Some, I mean, it's interesting to think that, and I don't, you know, I don't know if one of my friends was messing with me or what. Yeah. That could have been true too. Ouija boards are weird. I have a. I actually wrote a big article about. I have a real thing about the Ouija board. It's. Um, I'm really tired of that silly whole like Ouija boards are evil. It's like Ouija boards are. The article I wrote was about how Ouija boards are kind of a trick. They become a trickster for yeah. the paranormal. They're they, they're kind of a cup that holds all of the negative stuff now, and it's really hard to find anybody who's even neutral about Ouija boards. And I just I honestly think the whole thing is pretty silly, you know, and just these myths that are forming around it and. You know, the idea that nobody's ever had a good experience with a Ouija board, and it's so silly. And it's just, it's so not true, and I think a lot of people are just so reactionary, and, you know, just the idea that it's a portal, and it's evil, and oh my God, it just, I just find it very non-thinking to, to, to take that view, I don't know. And it's not like I'm pro-Ouija board, I do like them, I don't really use a Ouija board. But, right. I mean, I have one, and it's not it's not evil. And we, I grew up using a Ouija board. My grandmothers both had Ouija boards. My one grandmother taught me how to use it, and my other grandmother used it as her, she like put it over her arms of her chair and used it like a lap tray. <laughs> and so I just grew up with the presence of Ouija boards. And I guess it's not offensive to me that people find they're evil, but I just, I think it's silly, and I think it's childish, and... I don't know. It's a big debate. Like it's, it's just a very prevalent kind of thing within the whole ghost hunting community. It's you know, Ouija boards are evil. Stay away. They're evil. They're demonic. Whatever. Well, it's you know they get that reputation. The, the whole time you're saying this, I'm thinking it's because it's being used by weak weak people who think that in the first place or right. people that take them so seriously that the trickster element of it goes oh i've got one on the line here you know <laughs> exactly let's well, play them think, like about the whole trickster thing it really does fit into the elements of what a trickster is i mean the, the trickster is classically like a shapeshifter and the, the ouija board can be anything it can be like a demon it can be it stands for you know, any kind of entity, any kind of weird thing, it contains, like, all of the letters, all of the numbers. It can literally say anything, and it's, you know, it's, it really does kind of fit in with the whole mythos of it. But I, I don't know. I think it's just, I think it's silliness, and I, I think, like you said, people taking themselves way too seriously. And I just, I honestly don't understand, like, it's always mysterious to me when people don't question things, and they just take on these words that they've heard as truth and then spew them back out. And it just, it bugs me. Yeah. Well, they give into the, the wonder of the thing or whatever you want to call it. And um, since it's something new, they're suddenly, oh, well, this must be true because, you know, it came from the yeah. spirit world or whatever. 
Um, there's also another thing um, that I've seen other people write about, and I, I've taken this to heart, that uh, if you um, – what's how can I describe it? If you take something seriously like that – oh, no, that's not, the, that's not what I was going to say. Um, things that come from outside of your mind, if indeed they are, like anything else that comes from outside of your mind, it has to be interpreted first. Right. And it might be getting interpreted on a level you're not even aware of. Mm-hmm. So where is this evil coming from? Is it coming from you or the thing outside you or an interaction between the two or whatever's coming from the outside? Or is it your subconscious trying to get back at you for being for whatever? Yeah. You know, uh, right. Israel Regardi said that uh, anybody that gets involved in occult uh, uh, studies and practice ought to go through a very um, good uh a uh, few months or years of psychotherapy before they do such, before they do so. Uh, Re- Israel Regardi. Oh, really? Yeah, he's, he, he's, no, he recommended I, that highly. I, I kind of, well, I mean, I wouldn't, I don't do that, and I, I guess, I, to a sense, I can totally understand um, why. I think there's so much, it's because it's literally mythology itself. Yeah. You know, it's it's the depths of our mythology, and it's where so much of our stuff, the kind of collective stuff that we, and I don't mean dark as a negative, but just the shadow type of stuff gets put in there. And I think to deal with it, it does, it can change your outlook and, and people can get freaked out and weird things might start happening, but I don't know if weird things start happening or you just start viewing things differently, you know, and I think, you know, delving into any kind of, um, any kind of subject that requires, thought and speculation and philosophy and we'll probably, you know, end up in the same in the same place. I mean, you know, med students go can go crazy too, you know. Yeah. I mean I've talked to a lot of med med school students who, you know, end up feeling like they're gonna die just because they start learning all that I mean, it's just it's opening your mind. You know, that's that's what it's doing and it, it's not necessarily rainbows and, and birds everywhere. Rainbows and unicorns. What's that? I said rainbows and unicorns. That's right. I went to a That's sticker right. store yesterday. And they had all these stickers, and I said, I want some rainbows and unicorns. And I got some. <laughs> <laughs> and they're sparkly. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know yeah. where I'm going to put them just to, to, to uh, keep people from making fun of me. But it just seemed like I needed rainbows and unicorns yesterday. I don't know why. <laughs> Let, uh, listen, we're at the top of the hour now. I usually take a very short break and play some music so I can turn over my possibly working uh, recording device here. And uh, if that's okay with you, uh, Rochelle, we'll take this little break. And uh, when we come back, we'll talk about um, MIB, Men in Black type stuff that's happened to you, which I found fascinating in your writing, and uh, contactees and other strange things like that. Uh, so... It's Radio Mysterioso. We're here with uh, Rochelle Hawks from um, Beam, Beam Ships Equal Love, which is one of my favorite uh, blog site uh, names and blog sites, actually, uh, among other places. If you go to that site, you can uh, find out find all our other links to all our other writings. And um, maybe uh, in the last half hour, you can call in and uh, ask some questions. So we'll be back in a couple minutes here. And uh, meanwhile, since we've been talking about ghosts, I haven't played this in a while. This is uh, Genie's Afraid of the Dark by Dolly Parton and Porter Wagner. Have you ever heard that one? 
No. Let me see if I can put the phone up to the, the speaker and <laughs> listen to it here while I do the uh, virtual side turnover here. It's Radio Mysterioso, and we'll be right back. come running into our bedroom almost every night her soft little face would be wet from her tears and her little heart pounding with pride she'd hold at her arms then she'd climb in beside us in a small voice we'd hear her remark On some old family graves Jeannie said Mommy, ain't it dark in the ground Oh, Daddy, I'd be so afraid Then she looked up at her daddy and me And said something that broke both our hearts She said, when I die, please don't bury me Cause Jean is afraid of the dark Jeannie was always afraid of the dark And we never could understand why Cause we looked after Jeannie With the very best of care Because Jeannie was our only child Perhaps it was death that she was so afraid of Cause it took her one dark, stormy night I think we always knew that we'd never see Jeannie grown Cause it seemed that she was destined to die But on Jeannie's grave we placed an eternal flame That glows and never loses its spark and on the darkest night, there's always a light Cause Jeannie's afraid of the dark Our Jeannie's afraid of the dark Oh boy, Jeannie's afraid of the dark Dolly Parton and Porter Wagner It's uh, How would we categorize that? It's uh, country goth from the 60s <laughs> Did we just say country goth? Yeah <laughs> <laughs> Good. Um, it's uh, I don't know. I was I, I ever since I heard that song, it's been one of my favorites. I played it a lot on the show, much to the annoyance of the listening audience. But uh, that's why we do the show, right? Um, we're back with uh, Rochelle Hawks, and um, we were talking about uh, spirit communication. Um, I although I expect we should uh, jump back into the UFO thing at least for a little bit. Because I found out that um, Rochelle has an interest in UFO contactees, just like I I do, and I've had for a long time. Uh, what? Why are you interested in that? In the whole 1950s and I guess early 60s UFO contact movement. 
Can you hear me? Uh-huh, yeah. Oh, I was wondering if why you were interested in the contactees. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't understand you were asking. Um, yeah, sorry. Well, I guess I'm, just, I'm interested in general in um, old things. <laughs> um, but I, I guess I, I just recently really have begun reading about the whole contactee thing and, and just how it fits in with... Um, Strangely, spiritualism, which I'm really interested in, and there's a there's a big crossover with yeah. it, um, with the experiences themselves, and with the the nature of a lot of the the stuff that goes on. So, I'm not real versed in the whole contactee business. Um, I am reading that Dana Howard, a Dana Howard book that Reagan Lee started, kind of rolling the ball with this whole um, Dana Howard thing, which I think is great. Yeah, um, but it's it's really interesting. There's a lot of crossover with spiritualism ideas. It's a really good book. Um, so I don't really know a lot. I know a little bit about um, Adamski and Billy Meyer. I mean, not that much though. It really hasn't been an area that I've really delved into that much. Oh, it's huge! You'll scare yourself with how much information there is. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. It's. Yeah, I think a, a minefield of wonder. <laughs> <laughs> That's another perfect phrase, a minefield of wonder. There's another blog. <laughs> yeah, there we go. There's my second blog. I will never have another blog, though. I'm, I'm up to my blogginess with my blog. Do you post just about... Limit. Do you post just about every day or every few or... Um, I post probably every day, but a lot of them are just kind of trivial and you know it's not and like not like making money there and being real professional i have other places i write where i it's more formal and you know it's professional but oh, my right. blog is kind of it's a mishmash of personal stuff and silly stuff and things that i you know just kind of think of at the top of my head and it seems people seem to be interested in stuff but you mentioned the men in black thing and, and it really is tongue-in-cheek it's not, like, I'm not really saying I had men in black experience. They're just things that happen. And we also talked about this on Adam's thing, too. <laughs> so, Go ahead. Um, they're just things that have happened that, like, I can see how somebody would think it was weird enough and maybe put it in that kind of category. So I, I it really, like, I'm not implying that these were real men in black experiences at all. It was very kind of cheek. Yeah, well, uh, the... Uh couple that one is not really a man in black it's kind of a weird woman yeah, it's always women <laughs> so, yeah it's like wibs instead of mibs it's weird uh well people hear about it but they might want to uh can you describe what happened there's one that was a guy on your front porch you said with a headlamp or that something was, yeah that was weird and that's strangely like that was the one i was because i was telling steve was, i was actually talking to steve my boyfriend on the phone when this guy comes to my door and he was like, that is weird. Like, he thought it was weirder than I did. And then I started thinking about it. It's like, that was weird. And then when I started writing about it on my blog the next day, for some reason, that whole thing with this weird um, survey taker woman kind of crossed my mind. And then that became a big story that I wrote. And people thought that was really hilarious. And, and to me, it was just like, oh, this weird thing that happened. And then, like, relating it, people were kind of freaked out about it because it was really weird so but the, the mailman guy was it was very strange just 
um, mailman delivered my mail at 9.45 at night to my door. But he didn't knock, and he didn't, like, ring the doorbell or anything. He just stood there in front of my door with a headlamp, like a spelunker gear, like if you're going to look in a cave. I mean, like mining gear. He just stood at my door like that for minutes. (laughs) And then I opened up the door to see what was going on because I thought it was a policeman looking for my address or something with a flag, with a mag light. And so my heart is kind of beating. It's like, oh, my God, what's happened? And I open up the door, and there's a mailman standing there holding papers for me. And I said, what's this? He's like, your mail? (laughs) (laughs) It was pretty weird. Like, what could the story behind that have been? You know, that was, it was, I mean, obviously it's nothing to do with men in black or UFOs, but it was a very kind of, it seems like something that people would describe as a men in black experience, kind of. I thought what what I read about it, you said he was like standing on the corner or something, and then he came up to your yeah. door and stood there for right. a while? Well, I have kind of a long porch, and my mailbox is at the other end of the porch. And so I, looking at my front door, it's got a curtain on it, but there, it's a window with a curtain. And so I can see, um, at night I can see lights, like at the corner. My house is almost in the corner of the block. And so when lights come and stop at the um, the stop sign at the corner, I can see the headlights, you know. And so I just thought there's, you know, a car is parked over there and just, you know, stalling at the thing. And then the, flash, the light starts moving around, and it's getting really close. And so obviously if somebody on my porch has a flashlight, but that light, that stoplight, had, or that flashlight had been there for like at least a full minute, which is where my mailbox is. So why would he come and stand out? I mean, you couldn't stand there and not see the mailbox. It's six feet high. Well, four feet high. Yeah. So he had to be standing out by the... Why wouldn't he open it up and put the mail in the mailbox? It makes no sense. <laughs> but instead, he gets closer to my door and stands in front of my door. And, I'm, you know, probably 45 seconds, I'm, like, just getting, do I open the door? You know, what do I do? Somebody will knock, and nobody knocks. He just kept standing there, still, like he's waiting for me to answer. But, you know, I, I'm usually not even, you know, sitting in the living room at 9.45 at night. So how long would he have stood there, you know, with my mail after he... It was just weird. It, like, I just can't logically figure out what he was trying to do. Was it so, actually... I don't a, know. I thought it was strange. Was it actually a mailman? Was he dressed, like, in a U.S. Postal Service? Well, and, you know, it's one of those things, like, why wasn't... Why didn't I look at... You know, I'm opening this door, there's, like, this huge tall man standing there... Why am I not looking for his ID? <laughs> you know, but he was wearing dark clothes, and there was some kind of insignia thing on his coat. So I assume he probably was a real mailman. And he handed me my mail. So if he wasn't a real mailman, then that's pretty weird. But I, I think he was probably just like a new guy. It was the day after whatever that last holiday was, like President's Day. And maybe they were busy, and he was new. I can't figure it. I mean, I usually get my mail at two o'clock, so yeah, you know, it's eight hours late, and it was delivered very strangely. So I don't know what that was about. Okay, even stranger was this woman in the park that sat down in between you and your sister. That was weird. I mean, that's weirder than all of it put together. <laughs> it was. I have never had a social and like that kind of just outrageous social, like, faux pas experience like that in my life. It was, you couldn't have intruded in a worse, like, it was so wrong. Well, yeah, it, it was really weird. 
Can you narrate it so people kind of get an idea how strange this really was? And then what happened yeah. afterwards, too? Well, I just, it's kind of a long story. I'll try to make it short. But I, make it as um, long as you like. My, what's that? You can make it as long as you like. We've, still, okay. we've got 45 <laughs> minutes. Make it long. Yeah, long whatever. As long as you um, want to take the, tell the story. Was, my sister came over. This was like, oh, I can't remember how long ago. My son was probably six years old. So it was like six or seven years ago. And maybe actually longer. I was getting divorced, so it was like it was ten years ago. And I was, it was just a very stressful time. I was just not in a good place. You know, I was like getting divorced and selling a house and just trying to go to school and just generally stressed out. My sister comes over to get my son, as she's done for years and years on every Saturday, and just to take she took him up to the park. And I was waiting for these. Um, like maintenance people to come over to do something to the apartment. And I was just dreading it because these guys would come over and it was just always inevitably awful. You know, they just be like, they wouldn't really even be real workers, you know, just like people just driving down on the street to come fix the stuff in the house. And I just always dreaded it. So I was already stressed out and then I had to wait for these guys to come over and I didn't want to be there. And they get there and they bring a dog with them. And it sounds so petty, but I just, I don't want a dog in my house that I don't, I don't want a golden or a lab or whatever it was. I didn't, didn't want a big dog in my house. It was like, for me, stupidly, it was a lot strong. Like I was literally going to lose my mind that day with the dog in my house. So instead of making a scene or saying the dog can't come in, I just decided I needed to leave. So I was going to go, I was going to drive up to the library. It's like, you know, six blocks away, really close and just to, get out and come back and on the way I saw my sister and my son at the park and so I just decided to stop and I'm just you know sit on this bench and my son's playing in the in the sand and um sit down talking to my sister and you know I don't even remember what was going on I was just telling her oh god you know this dog came in and I was all stressed whatever just having an obvious conversation like you know we're facing each other you know my hands are like I'm obviously I'm not I was upset you know, I wasn't, like, hysterical, but it was, like, you wouldn't, like, if you saw the scene, you wouldn't approach these people, you know, unless you really needed something, you know, because it's just, like, it's an intimate, private thing going on. You would not approach it, period, unless you, like, even if you knew us, you might not come over. I mean, that's how, like, wrong it was to come over. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, we're having this conversation, and this, I see this woman approaching, and she's, she looks weird, and I've seen her before, and I, she's, like, the avenues just have, like, this kind of, it's a very soft, part of it's very kind of its own little space. It's just the avenues. And there's, you know, weird people, it has a character. Everybody kind of knows, like, you know, there's this guy that walks around. Oh, yeah, that guy, that kind of thing. So I had seen, seen this woman before, but never interacted with her. But I lived in a, at the time, I lived in a place that was kind of a, um, busy area. It was by a hospital, and um, so there, it was. You know, I saw kind of a lot of foot traffic where I lived. So I had seen her before, but never interacted with her. I didn't know if she was weird or what, but found out she was. Um, anyway, I started walking toward us, and she's determined. Like you could tell, she's approaching us. I'm just thinking, okay, she's going to ask for the time, or ask if we know where something is, or whatever. And <laughs> she comes over, and she just. Plants herself right between my sister and the thing. I didn't even write this in the in the blog thing. There was another bench there. There was it, this was not the only bench. Yeah, 
there were others. This is like a, actually it's a park, but it's like part of this little office hospital thing. It's like where you know the employees will go out there and sit. Lunch. I mean, there's like tables and benches and this little. So I mean, there were plenty of places to eat. She comes and she sits down right between. She stands by. She's like, "Can I sit here?" And she, then she just pops down. And I, I mean, what do you do? Like, what do you say? It's, it's not like she hit us, you know, we can't, like, call the police. But it was that kind of feeling, like, oh, my God, what, what is she, like, what do you even say? It was so weird. Then she just um, took this little uh, brown paper bag and opens it, puts it on her lap, and opens it, opens it up and takes an apple out and just starts eating her apple, like, looking around the part, like, she's in a commercial, like, it's a commercial you know, hairspray or something. Like, it's just, it's wrong. You know, it's like we weren't, like, she was acting. That's what it was like. She was acting. <laughs> it felt like a put on, and, like, we were on camera, and it couldn't be real. It was so, and so I mean, we just kind of blew it off at the time. I mean, really, what do you, I mean, now you can think, like, like, now if this happened, I'd say, what are you doing? You know, that we were sitting here, and you can't just, you know, that's kind of a social faux pas to just come and sit, you know. But at the time, it was just, and I wasn't in my right mind anyway. So it was just very strange. And then we kind of went our own ways or whatever and forgot about it. And then a few years later, we're walking down from the library, walking home. And actually, it was on the same street. So she must live on that street or something. We're walking down the street. And here she comes, far as like two blocks away, I knew it was her. She was really thin, this big blonde wig. And she... And I'm just thinking, oh, God, what's she going to do now? You know, and I knew my son, like, he wasn't even aware that that was going on at the time, so I didn't even say anything to him, like, oh, my God, this woman's weird. I didn't even say it. She, as we get, as we approach her, like, literally a block away, you can hear this weird sound, like this squish, squish, type of sound. <laughs> what is that? And then as we, it's her walking, like, every step she takes, this is, sound but it's not coming from her feet like she doesn't have like weird cushions in her feet like it's surrounding her whole body <laughs> like it's not it's coming from her body like I can't even it's actually something that really bothers me like, I can't even imagine a device or any kind of medical condition or anything that would make that noise and it was loud you can hear it a block away it, so I can't imagine what that woman's story is. And she looks exactly like this actress that used to be on, um, like, game shows and weird stuff in the 70s. And I can't, I don't, I can't remember this woman's Vanna name. White? I tried to find it, but I don't even know how to search for her. I know, like, I'll, you know, someday it'll pop up on TV and I'll see this woman's name. But she looks exactly like her. I said Vanna White? No. Oh, okay. This was a woman, like... Somebody who would have been on, like, Match Game and um, Hollywood Squares. And she was just kind of like the, like, a her thing was being kind of like a dumb blonde type of person. Oh, okay. You know, she was probably really smart, but, I mean, she that was kind of her persona was, like, right. you know, big boots, big hair, dumb blonde, and just always on, like, variety shows and game shows. And I just, I... She wasn't very famous, but, I mean, if you saw a picture of her, you'd say, oh, yeah, that woman, what's her name? You know, probably. So I, I'm sure someday I'll 
find her name and I'll post it. But this woman, I mean, she looks like her twin. And it's not her because, I mean, she's, you know, fairly young. I'm sure this other woman's like in her probably 60s now. But, yeah, it's, it, the whole thing is very strange. Sounds like she's a female Lord of the Sith or something. She's like Darth Vader coming down the <laughs> <laughs> It was so weird. I can't imagine what would make that noise. Oh, it's too bad you couldn't get a recording. <laughs> Next time you see, no, walk around with a tape recorder everywhere. Like, now, you know, just having, you know, I guess hindsight, I would just say, what's that noise? What is that noise you're making? <laughs> you know, I have to know what is that noise you're making. Just to, even just to see what she, you know, how would you respond? You know, and, and she just had this weird smile as she walked. Like, it was creepy. And even my son, who, like, didn't even know about that other incident, just looked, like, we just looked at each other, like, what was that? Like, I know it wasn't just me, you know, that he, he thought it was weird, too. So, yeah, it was very strange. Anybody else? Oh, you know what? The first thing I thought when you uh, mentioned seeing her again, were you in the same kind of emotional state as before? No, not at all. Not that I remember, and I think I probably would have remembered being upset. We were just walking down from the library. No, I wasn't. I don't feel like I was in a weird state of mind at all. Okay, no, I meant not weird state of mind, but just emotionally. Um, no, because the only thing that's ever happened to me that's really paranormal, besides uh, coming home one time and knowing there was a package for me inside the house, which was very that's strange. Weird. It was. It was. In, I said, "There's a package for me." We came around the corner, and I said, "There's a package for me." At the time I was married to my wife, I said, there's a package for me behind the door inside the house. And we got there, and I fully expected to see it there, and it was. That is weird. What was it? It was a T-shirt in a plastic bag that a friend of mine had come by when we were out of town and shoved it under the door. And it it was just thin enough he could get it under the weather stripping that it went inside the house. Hmm. It was a T-shirt from the Conspiracy Museum in Dallas. That's pretty weird. And the other one, which uh, which you reminded me of, was um, which is why I asked about the emotional state, was that, God, this f- stupid chair is stuck on the floor. Anyway, um, I was at my friend's house uh, who, who, who uh, co-founded the zine we had, Excluded Middle, mm-hmm. and I was in the middle of divorce or knew it was coming. And I was going out to interview Dean Radin, the uh, parapsychologist. I was going to drive out to Vegas and interview him. But I thought, oh, I'm going to stop at Robert's house first. We'll hang out for a little bit. I can vent a little bit. And he gave me some beer to drink, just like in a little glass. Mm -hmm. Drank the beer. I went back into the kitchen, and I I washed the glass in cold water. So don't think that anybody listening think that this is the reason. I washed the glass in cold water. And as I emptied the water out and pulled the glass back up, there was an audible pop, and the glass exploded. That's weird. It literally, it like, there was this like, like that, and the the glass just shattered, and pieces of it stayed in my hand. Not not, it didn't cut me or anything. And the other pieces of it, it exploded so hard that it actually slid fifteen feet down the down the kitchen into the utility room. Pieces of it. That's weird. And that's I mean, the only. How could that even be explained? I don't I guess know. Like kind of weird sound wave, or I mean, that's I guess. Pretty, was it like a what kind of glass? Was it like a shot glass or like a beer glass or? No, it was just kind of like a regular glass tumbler, like you, like if a little girl asked for a drink of water. It wasn't like right. a big beer glass. It was just kind of a regular 
glass. I mean, you know, maybe it was about what five, six inches tall and four or five, four inches in diameter or something. Just a regular glass. And he just That's happened to give me the beer in that. And I wasn't drunk or anything. I'd had one, you know, I'd had half of a of a bottle of beer in that glass. And I was just washing it out because I don't drink very much. And I thought, oh, well, it's nice. I had a beer. But um, <laughs> it, ex- it it like did this explosion That's weird. thing. And then the was funny thing. Really, was it hot in that? Because the only thing I can imagine is that is when glass does break is when it gets cold. Well, when it, when it has to. Uh, expand in a non uh, what's the word symmetrical way when you heat part of it and the other part isn't heated like right. one part expands further, faster than the other and um, you know I had cold beer in it I drank the beer and I washed it in cold water I, I wasn't washing it in like scalding hot water and it would usually it happens they just yeah. crack but this just there was a pop and it and it kind of it was That's like somebody really ex- strange it's like somebody put a, a firecracker in the middle of the glass how weird and, and there's like there's no, <laughs> stupid even us, but there's no chance it was like some. I mean, if your friends are playing some kind of joke on you, it's like some kind of weird trick that like like a gag cup or something, they would have they would have told you like we played a trick on you. I think Robert would have told me, and the, the funny thing is that he didn't laugh or anything. He just went and swept up the glass, and we went on with things. It was one of those weird things that something will happen and go, oh my god, that's really weird. And then you just like kind of forget about it. <laughs> The, yeah, well, in that's, another minute. That's, I think that's how a lot of weird things get digested. I don't know if you saw on my blog. One of the weirdest things that I have ever seen is that helicopter experience. Did you see that on the blog? No, didn't see that one. Please. Um, what's that? I said, please go on. Oh, well, we were in, it was actually in, it was, I believe it was 2003, and I remember... If that's not the year, it was whatever year that Elizabeth Smart, that girl that got kidnapped in Salt Lake, um, got kidnapped. Because I remember talking about that when we went to Vegas. So I think it was 2003. Um, Steve and I, attorney, went to, we took a road trip to Las Vegas and met some friends there. And um, we stayed, we planned to stay like maybe just a little bit too long and got kind of sick of Vegas and decided to go to Lake Mead to see uh, Hoover Dam. And so we're taking this little road trip, side trip, and I don't know if you've been to Lake Mead, but it's, you kind of have to go through a canyon-y type thing to get there, and it's, you know, it's like a regular winding canyon road, and so we're on that, and we come around this, um, kind of this path on the, on the road there, and there's a guardrail type of thing, and there's a helicopter tied to the guardrail, like with a rope. Oh, yeah, I did read that one. Tied to the guardrail with a regular rope, and there's nobody in the helicopter. And it's like full blades going up in the air, and it's a complete mystery. It's it's impossible, actually. And it's like hanging over, you know, the cliff face, which is, you couldn't even, like, walk out under the helicopter. I mean, there's nothing there. It's like a drop-off. It's a canyon. Yeah. It's, I don't know if it's technically a canyon because it's just like the mountain face. I don't know what that would really be called, but I mean, it's not something that you would be able to walk under or to fetch the helicopter manually or anything. It just... And we just... Like, Steve thinks it's weirder. Like, our reaction was weirder than I do. I don't know what we could have done, you know? And I feel like I thought it was really weird at the time, but he's just... Like, his attitude is like, you know... What's really weird is we just drove on. It's like, well, what could we have done? 
you know, and I guess we didn't really keep talking about it, but what's there really to say? You know, it's just, we kind of just went about our day and then later started thinking, what the hell was that? You know, that was really weird. And and I thought, like, I have this um, friend who is the, he's like the head photographer for a local news station here, and part of his job is, he doesn't um, fly helicopters, but he's in them all the time. And because, you know, he's the head photographer. And I, so I thought, well, he will know. You know, he'll be able to ask the helicopter guy, you know, what this could have been, and he'll know. And so I asked this guy, and I can't remember if he went to ask the helicopter guy or not, but he said, no, that is not something that would happen. That's the weirdest thing I've ever heard. And that's, like, you either didn't see it right or you're remembering it, but we all remember exactly the same, and we did see it right. I mean, that was... We slowed down. It's like, what is, are they filming a movie? What, you know, are they doing a stunt? But even if that was the case, there was nothing else around. And I know exactly what film crews look like. We have film crews up here all the time filming in Salt Lake and in the avenues. I've even had them filming on my street. I'm very well aware of, like, that whole scene. It was nothing like that. And there were no people around. There was nothing. So even if it was, like, a stunt set up or something... Like, how would they, why would they do it right over the road? Like, <laughs> you know, it didn't, I mean, it was, it had to be like maybe 50 feet away from the road, not over the road, but it was like on the other side, you know, kind of angled um, over the cliff face. It wasn't angled over the street. We all drew pictures of it, and their pictures are very similar. We all made little drawings um, without talking about it to see if we remembered it the same way, and they all look very similar. So I know we're remembering it exactly how we saw it. So, you know, it's that kind of thing. Like, now we're just kind of haunted by it. Like, what could that have been? So, I don't know. And there are things like tethered helicopters, and but it's usually um, in training situations and under very controlled circumstances, nothing like, you know, what we saw. So that kind of haunts me. Like, what could that have been? And I don't, I don't think it was paranormal. And if it was, like, that's even weirder. Like, what could be paranormal about it? Yeah. Screen memory of a UFO. It was a helicopter. Like, I don't know if we'll ever figure out what that is, what that was. I can't even imagine. There were three people in the car, and you all agreed that there was nobody flying. What what kind of, could you actually see inside the cockpit really clearly? Oh, yeah, it was very close. There was nobody. We slowed down to see, like, you know, is are there people in there? What is There was nobody in the helicopter. It was completely empty. I mean, unless they were, you know, and it wasn't like a huge helicopter. It was just like a, I don't know anything about helicopters, but I mean, it had the big windows, big kind of bug-eye-looking windows. And, yeah. I mean, you could really see into the whole space. At least uh-huh. it seemed you could see into the... And there could be people in the back or something, like, and not in the view of the window, but it certainly looked completely empty. Extremely and, strange. Yeah, if, if there would have been somebody in there, even a hint of a human in there, it seemed like it could have made sense. I mean, even though, like, why would they have it tied to the side of the road with a rope, but at least you could see, like, you know, how they could get out of the helicopter, like, they could fly the helicopter away and land it safely, or, I mean, how would you, like, shimmy up the rope to get in? I mean, it just seems crazy. Yeah. So, I don't know. I can't imagine what that whole thing could be, but, yeah, that was one of the things at the time we didn't really investigate that I wish we kind of would have taken a little bit more seriously to find out what was going on, but now we're just kind of haunted by it. Yeah, it's uh, what I've uh, talked about with this with other guests, and I've heard about it many times. It, 
it's this weird thing where your brain is hit with something that, you know, anything from a UFO to a helicopter tied to a rail with nobody in it. And nobody in the group, if there is a group, really has any place to put this in their mind. So they just kind of, right. they just kind of, it just kind of slides off the table until maybe years later, this, not, this is an extreme example of it, somebody will mention it and go, oh yeah, remember that time? It's like the person, everybody will say, I didn't have even thought about it till now. Yeah. And I don't know if this is a some kind of you know mind control thing or thing that your brain does or whatever, but it, I think it's more like your brain doesn't have any place to put the strangeness of it. Right. You know, so it just kind of gets forgotten. You know, it just doesn't. Right. It doesn't. It does. Or you may not even know the significance of it at the time, or right. you know, just whatever the context might be. Like I actually today just wrote um, a little thing in my blog about weird memories and because I just you know I just turned 40 this year or last year actually now and I've just been having this weird kind of I don't want to call it midlife because I want to live to be longer to be older than 80 but um, I guess it's just kind of this weird sense of mortality and and just you know just the general stuff I guess that people you know when they turn 40 maybe start going through but I've just been feeling nostalgic and and weird and just like thinking about my past a lot and things that have happened and weird things that have been popping in my head that I have these memories of things that I, I just, I mean, I remember them exactly like this, but I know it can't be real. You know, like this, this thing I wrote today, like I remember this memory of sitting in a cage in a zoo. A cage in a zoo? <laughs> like it, yes. Like it was, like I can't, can't be real, but I have a distinct memory of, we had this really weird friend in high school. This, he was a great guy, but he was just like, have you ever known Finnish people, like a Finnish guy? Yes. Like somebody from Finland? Were they just completely crazy? Uh, halfway, yeah. Yeah. Well, this guy was really outrageous. His name was Mika, and um, he was just like his crazy sense of humor, just an outrageous person. But he, my friend Mike and I reached to my house, hanging out, and he called us just in this panic, just crazy, wanting to go to the zoo. And of course, I mean, this is Mika, and so we just kind of thought, oh, that's something weird that he's doing, whatever. So we drove my car over to um, his house, but apparently whoever was there told us that he was so crazed to get to the zoo that he started walking. (laughs) So... I mean, this is like midnight. You know, this is not, like, first of all, the zoo ain't open. Sorry, what the hell is, we have no idea, like, there's no context. There is no, like, why does he have to go to the zoo? You know, I mean, so what else should we bring, you know, some some syringes with us too? I mean, what is going on? So anyway, we thought, actually from his house, it was pretty straight shot to the zoo. So we just start driving like thinking we're going to find them, you know, we're going to help them or whatever. And somewhere along the way, we picked up my friend Monica. So Mike and I and Monica are driving my car, and we see Mika, and we pick him up, and we get to the zoo. It turns out his host, mother, he was a foreign exchange student. Yeah. And this was in high school. And it turns out his host mother, Marsha, worked at the zoo. And I don't think we even knew this. So, I mean, it's crazy to us that he wanted to go to the zoo. Turns out we get there and there's like this like people there. This giraffe is having a baby, and Nika <laughs> wanted to be the one to deliver the baby. <laughs> like the giraffe. Was 
I mean, this is how I remember. I mean, it might be made up or something. I mean, I really remember, like, maybe it was just like a conversation he had about like, wanting to do, I don't know. But anyway, my impression now, you know, is that we had to go there because he wanted to deliver this draft baby. And so anyway, we get there, and the, the draft has already been born. And I remember, like, all I remember after that is Mike and I and Monica and Mika were sitting in the giraffe cage, <laughs> like, on this loft area. I mean, I remembered sitting there. So, I, I mean, we had to be there. I can't even imagine, like, how we got in it <laughs> or why. Or and there was like hey <laughs> it's like we were in this cage after this giraffe was born and I just think I can't believe that happened and he was eating these cookies that were made made for gorillas like he was eating the gorillas cookies. This gets weirder and weirder. <laughs> but I mean, this is like I can't believe I haven't thought about this a lot, you know, or just ask, you know, my friend, because I still talk to Monica and stuff, like, why haven't I discussed, why, why haven't we talked about this weird thing that happened? You know, how many other weird things, you know, do we have in our memories that are, you know, sitting in a cage at the zoo eating gorilla cookie, you know, I mean, I know the cookie thing happened because we gave him endless shit about that for months and months, and I remember, I still remember what they smelled like, it was disgusting. He was <laughs> eating them. I mean, that is crazy. So, I don't know. I think at the time, maybe, you know, like if you're in, you know, if you're 17 and just doing whatever happens to come up, maybe things aren't as weird. You know, maybe things aren't as weird until later. I don't know. Just having the perspective on what norm, like that would never happen now. You know, I don't have any friends that would call me up needing to go to the zoo. You know? But I guess, you know, being 17 is a lot different than being 40. So with with crazy people around. I think a lot yeah. of it has to do with, you know, just perspective and what seems acceptable and what doesn't. Yeah, we had a friend in college that thought he was Jim Morrison reincarnated. Oh, my God. And he used to insist that we go out to the L.A. Arboretum where they filmed uh, uh, Fantasy Island and the house there. Just, that, that, that Oh, I've been there. I've been there. Yeah. He wanted to go out there in the middle of the night, like once every month or two. He said, <laughs> we got to go. And he'd give everybody hits of acid and we'd drive out there and wander around the Arboretum Break into the house and look around. We never, we never vandalized anything. Yeah. But we ran around at night, and usually I was the one that either didn't take any drugs or you know did it earlier or whatever, so I could drive everybody back. Right. I was. I had to be the responsible one. And I remember yeah. doing that, but that you know it seems normal. I don't have any. You know, I'm only like uh, like four years older than you, and I'm I'm not having any of those weird things come bubbling up from. Usually, people say that's like when they get in their like seventies or whatever. All these memories come back from when they were children, really? and all this that suddenly there's this huge download of information from the beginning of your life, which I you know I can't remember anything hardly from you know even last year, you know, mm-hmm. but. Now it's yeah, I think I do remember a lot. I have a lot of memories, and so maybe I don't know. Maybe because of that, I start out with one, like you know, early. I'm getting them earlier or something. I don't know. I think maybe I'm so. Having a lot of memories. I think I did get that horrible um, sense of mortality thing, but that went away it's after about scary. a few few weeks. I just finally said, "Well, I'm going to die. So what?" Um. <laughs> You know, I guess it's hard for me to get past that. I don't know why. It's I'm not even afraid anymore. It's just it's that kind of sense of hyper reality of it. Yeah. You know, like it just like it exists more in the present than it ever did. I don't know. It's it's a really strange 
but you know, the older I get, you know, the more people I know that have died and the more people, um, you know, I feel like if they can go through it, I can go through it. And then having a child too, it's like someday my son will have to deal with all these things. And if he can do it, then I should be brave and be able to do it. I think it's just natural, you know, as you age, you start to have a perspective on it and, you know, like, you know, just going to a cemetery, just looking at all of those stones representing, you know, people who have the same kind of feelings as I did and, and somehow they managed to, to cope with it. So I guess it makes me feel a little bit braver, but it's certainly not the perspective I used to have. I used to be just terrified of it. Yeah, uh, millions of us, billions of us go through the same thing, and it's new for right. everybody. It's incredible. Yeah. Uh, you know, the uh, you know what? Let's let's uh, talk a little about about your article about uh, Lom and the eyes. Um, this is this uh, entity that was supposedly um, channeled or or visualized by Alistair Crowley and a um, woman he was uh, using or seeing or whatever at the time in New York um, in nineteen. Uh huh. Yes. In, in 1919, I believe it was? I think it was 1918, but actually there's several dates on it, and I think it spanned, it was the end of one year, and then went over, I can't remember if it was in 17, 1917 to 18 or 18 to 19, it was one of those. Yeah, and the, the, actually the you know everybody's been talking about this for quite a long time, since at least the late 80s or early 90s, but this is, a, when you mentioned it, it was the first time I, I noticed, that you noticed, that Although the eyes on this creature that he, he that Crowley had um, did in charcoal or pencil or whatever he did, um, although the, the eyes are really tiny, if you look up up above them, there's these swirly big almond shaped things. Well, swirly on one side and pretty well defined on the other. That look like the uh, gray from the cover of uh, Communion, which we've all come to know and love. Yeah, it's very smaller looking, and I I think it's kind of not. You know, I think to dismiss it, I think is, I mean, because it's exact. I mean, you know, you do the, like, the overlay of it, and it's just right there. I mean, it's just seemingly kind of inspired almost. And and just that it would go unnoticed, I think, is kind of curious, too. And just the eye, like, that was, like, before, you know, the whole, and a lot, like, a lot of people didn't even really take that whole thing seriously in that sign or whatever, but even before I read that article, there was so much talk about, well, the eyes, there was always so much talk about, oh, it looks just like a great, except for those eyes. You know, so it's not like the eyes weren't kind of a point of focus in the first place, and that's also like you're, according to, um, and you say mom, I say lamb, I don't know how it's pronounced. Whatever. I, I was even wondering if it was like L-A-M, you know, I don't know how to pronounce it, because I've never really even heard people talk about it, I've just read it, so. Have you heard, is it pronounced lamb? Well, my my thalamic occultic friend said "lom." I don't know. That's just okay, the way well, I, it, it sounds. Lamb. More it, it it sounds more uh, mysterious if you say "lom" instead of "lamb." Yeah, that's true. Less Americanized, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, more like the llama thing. Yeah, so it probably is "lom." Um, Islam. Lom. Um, what was I saying? I can't remember. Um, about the that, about oh, the swirly the, eye thing. The the lom. What's it called? Um, there's like a word for it. I don't know if it was written by Kenneth Grant, but it was not the long papers, but the long meditation. Something. It was kind of the the manifesto. It wasn't the manifesto, but it's something like that. Right. Um, 
that it's like part of the meditation that you're supposed to do with it is staring into its eyes. Right. The entity's eyes. And so the, the eyes are always kind of um, a big deal about the, the drawing in the first place. So I don't know. I guess to me that kind of... Um, and, and actually that's what I decided to do. I decided to stare into the eyes and all of a sudden this whole other traditional gray, or not traditional, but you know, um, iconic, I guess. Yeah. Great was was right there with those big white eyes. So I don't know. It just it seemed very obvious to me that it was very similar to you know the, the Strieber gray. Right. Exactly. Um, there's been arguments for and against it. But what I found fascinating after you pointed that out, and I think you were the first person I know of to point that out, was that... Yeah, I, I tried to find if anybody had ever mentioned that. And I, in all of the searching and all the books I looked through, I couldn't find one reference to it. So that's kind of why I you know, tried to present it as, like, you know, here's the first presentation of this idea. So I hope I didn't sit on anybody because I didn't ever find anybody to refer to it at all before that either. I haven't either, but what the thing I thought of when uh, you had written, uh, I don't know if you'd written the article yet, but you'd mentioned it on uh, in a comment on UFO Mystic, um, that aspect of it. I looked at it again, I said, oh yeah, and then I'm thinking, what the hell, where was he reaching to to find that image? Yeah. You know, is it, you know, is, I thought of it more of a case of uh, kind of like precognition or hooking into this huge... Um, cultural icon that would come along what you know 60 years later right. because right. Of, i kind of think uh, that too i mean that's i think that's a really powerful icon and i think it's a really powerful image and i think that's the kind of thing that he would hook into you know and i mean if you look at um the actual transcripts of these um long channelings or whatever you i think there's a, a title for the for the um, manuscript, I can't remember what it's called, but it's the it's the actual um, the transcript between he and Roddy Minor, and it's it's really, like you can tell just in reading it, like it's very you can just get a sense of his not desperation, that's a stupid word, but how much he really wants to communicate with this entity like it's it's a daily kind of thing that they do and it's i mean literally things like you know what you know it's an example i know he doesn't say this but like what should i wear on this day what I mean, it's really using it as an oracle and it seems to be a focus of so much energy that i just feel like there really must be something to you know this, this. and it was also um an entity that was it was supposedly a sketch done from real life. Like, I mean, that's the story, is that this thing appeared, and it was like you were sketching a, por- like you were sketching a portrait. Yeah. I and mean, that's how the story goes. So it wasn't just like something he thought of and thought, I'd, like he was supposedly sketching this entity from life. Which is what he said. I think that uh, the, uh, the practice is called the Amalantra Al- working. Or yeah, that's right. I'm not sure how to pronounce it either. Someone, someone yeah, will probably yeah. correct us. Which reminds me, I didn't uh, give out the phone number two one three two. Do you mind, Rochelle? Oh, yeah, sure. Two one three two five two 
1-800-898-0998 if you want to uh, ask a question, have a conversation, whatever you like with uh, Rochelle while we have her on the line here. Um, going from strange things happening in 1919 to right up near the present, another one of your uh, articles I, I liked was about the flying humanoids because that's that's uh, something that's interested me for uh, quite a while. But I found it um, weird that you th- thought they were really creepy. But then you also explained at the bottom, well, some people th- find things creepy that others don't. Right. Yeah, I think just, you know, things that st- happen to strike us, like I know people who can't stand images of, like, the graves, and, and it, that just doesn't bother, like, I can't even imagine why that's creepy. Like, it doesn't bother me at all. You know, and then I think some people would never understand, like, why do I find this image? And I never saw the image of that Superman flying, wherever that was. But the idea of that, just like some guy, he was like his position was he was standing up. Like, he wasn't even in a Superman position. He was just standing up like he was walking or something. Like, that is so creepy to me. <laughs> and it just seems so unnatural. And just and the image of that witch is so, like, I don't care if it's a balloon, whatever, like, whatever it was is just gross. Like the way she, and just the way that that, the guy described her, that there was an ambulance or medic or somebody who was really freaked out about it on that video. And he was describing her face. He's like, she had a green face. And it's just, oh my God. It was like he was describing a cartoon character that you saw in real life. Like that is so scary to me. Just like thinking of like a cartoon character could appear as real, like that is so scary to me. It's like worlds colliding, you know. So that, yeah, the idea of this flying humanoids is just—it seems so wrong. Yeah, well, it also sounds like the way you're describing it—that a cartoon could come to life. It sounds more like a kind, uh, the idea of a, a tulpa or a, or a projection into reality of people's um, subconscious fears or or. Right. Um, uh, 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 What's the word? Uh, like a thought form? Yeah, a thought form, but it projecting a... Um, I can't think of the word. Uh, 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 like an archetype? Archetype, that's it. Projecting an archetype into a form where other people could see it. Right. Um, the, the Those uh, witch or bruja or whatever videos from Mexico... If anything had to be creepy, those were kind of creepy to me. But, but you know, more fascinating to me than than scary. Um, oh, I thought they were so scary. Really? And the other thing is, where else were those seen besides Mexico? Nowhere. So that either means somebody's hoaxing these things all over Mexico and scaring people, or what people have noticed for a long time is that depending on the culture – before there's you know mass media and people telling people what these things are, what to think, all these weird entities appear as different things in different countries and different cultures and different times. Right. So you know I don't I can't I don't think there's been any flying humanoid stuff from the United States as far as I know. There is a video actually I can't remember now if it's a video or a still photograph and it's um, I think it's a still photograph I think. And it doesn't seem creepy. It seems like, and it's not like, I think the thing about the Superman thing, and then you put up the picture of a flying horse or something, and then yeah. it's like these things look like toys or like, yeah, they don't look, this this other thing I saw a picture of that I think was in the United States, it looked like somebody falling, like those horrible World Trade Center pictures that people saw. Like that's what this looked like. So that's immediately what I thought it might even be. 
is somebody falling. So I think there was one, but it didn't have the same kind of um, same kind of uh, features as the flying witch or horse or Superman. But that's the only one I can think of in the United States. But I think there are stories of them. I haven't seen any pictures. Yeah, if you go on the um, uh, what's it called? Uh, I think it's linked from UFO Digest, but it's that uh, humanoid sighting report site. Oh yeah. Um, there's a lot of good creepy stories on that one, and one of them was about uh, somebody said they saw something that looked like a parachutist coming down, but without a parachute. Weird. In Florida. I think, was there a photo? Uh, no, there's no photo with it. It wasn't the same one, because that's kind of what this looked like. So I don't know what's going on with these things, except for, you know, all the way from hoaxes to something from somewhere is trying to screw with our heads. Right. You know, I I don't know. The the truth therein lies somewhere in between, I suppose. Closer to one or the other, I don't know. But yeah, I those know. it is mystery. Yeah, but those um I guess the the, the it, it's fine to see a video of it or talk about it, but what if you were standing there and it happened? That that's where the creep factor comes in. Right. It is where the creep factor comes in, and I think that's when I start kind of getting creeped out like yeah, it's not a video. These people were there, and they're just, like, at some birthday party and, and seeing this and freaking out, and that's, like, imagining it really happening is, you know, like, this really happened. seems like that's where the, like you said, the feedback comes in. But there is another video of something that looks like that same witch character, and the people who see it, maybe you've seen this, the people who see it say, oh, it's a balloon. So you can't really tell it's necessarily a balloon in the in the video, but they seem to, to see that it's definitely a balloon. And it looks really similar to the, to the other one, so it might, you know, right. that might explain it. And in some of these videos, whether they're real or fake or not, the things aren't moving like balloons or kites. Right. Yeah, I didn't think that thing looked like a, a balloon at all. And, and people seem to see the face up close, and it seemed to, to like, be a, a person, you know, like a, a something living. Right. It's pretty gross. I had to put on a funny costume and go down there with my paraglider and see if I can get a video. Well, <laughs> so we saw some weird. We have a lot of paragliders here um, at this certain area, and in the right light, it looks really weird. At point of the mountain, right? Yep, point of the mountain. Yeah, I have a, a client actually who is into to doing that now and has all kinds of stories of it. Yeah, I don't, I guess that's, is it like a famous place? Yeah, it's it's one of the most famous paragliding sites in the nation. Oh, really? Of, yeah, because in There's the morning a you horrible can, accident there too, just in the last few days. Yeah, well, that always happens. I mean, it, it's every once in a while somebody misjudges something or misjudges their abilities or the conditions and they screw up. Yeah. Um, and then once in a while there's something a friend of mine calls air sharks. <laughs> Um, where some a piece of air just does something completely wrong when you're near the ground and mm. you just drop. Um, I tend not to fly in those areas, but uh, who knows? Uh, but yeah, I, the the thing you said at the bottom of the article about just the whole thing about people being in the air where they're not supposed to be and the the mythical connections with that and how deep that goes into our psyche is is adding to that creepiness factor, especially when you can't figure out how these, whatever they are, flying around, what they're doing right. and how creepy they look. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely seems like it's uh, within 
the realm of the mythical rather than something that should really happen. Yeah. Yeah, when I'm up in the air, it's uh, very different than being on the ground, and I've be- I've become addicted to it. And it's probably wow, for yeah, a- I've, I've heard the same thing from other people. I would never do it. Like it seems like I would rather be buried under the ground than be about. Like it just seems I I feel like I need such rooting. Like I would never be free. Like even when I have flying dreams, they're always inside. Oh, it's really? always, like, a feeling over... I would just never, ever want to be in the air like that. Yeah, well, and I don't mind flying, like, in a plane. I'm not afraid at all. I just would never want my body to be free in the air like that. It seems awful. Oh, well, it's funny. People either are, are totally attracted to it, or there's not too many, too much indifference about it. Yeah, it seems like it's not a thing you kind of feel moderately about. Yeah, because my instructor offered my girlfriend... We were just sitting there one day and she, uh, somewhere camping or something, and he said, oh, you want to go for a ride? And she said, nope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can definitely identify with that. I said, but it's free. I mean, you can just – she goes, nope. And I said, okay, because we don't force any each other to do anything. Right. So, you know, I, I can understand. That's fine. Um, one th- more thing, and I got to bring it up. You're mm-hmm. the only person that tangles with one person on UFO Mystic as much oh. as more than anyone. I yeah. get tired of I think it's a guy. It sounds like a, a man. Yeah. Um and it's funny because he seems to be very interested in the UFO subject but has exceedingly inflexible ideas about it. I know. Yeah, it's part of my thing with that person is it's not even what he's it's his manner of argument. Yeah, and I just I can like listen to or you know respect or whatever like any kind of idea or insight or as long as people will will be logical and argue fairly and and I think that's what really bugs me about it more than anything and I don't know why I continue I mean he's just obviously he hangs himself with everything that he says I mean everything he says is a con- is is contradictory. You know, he'll, he'll, like, argue against, you know, whatever, and then in the next sentence, like, turn it around like that was your own argument. You know, it's just, it's crazy. You know, and I think everybody kind of knows it's crazy, but, and for me, it's, like, I'm just kind of learning about this whole skeptic thing. I didn't, I've never really um, read any, I've, I've just never paid much attention to the whole skeptic argument, but I just read that trickster in the paranormal book. I don't know if you've read that, but it's a really good one. George Hansen? Um, yeah. No, I haven't. People keep telling me I should read it. In addition yeah, to Demonic Reality, really which I haven't read. It's, I think, a necessary book. I mean, I think there's just the perspective of it. Um, I, I don't think I've ever read anything from that kind of point of view before. But um, he's got a whole chapter on um, the whole scale. What's it? The Psychop. I think, didn't they just change their name? I can't remember what yeah, it's Yeah, they called, changed it to CSI. Isn't that wonderful? Um, yeah, that, uh, where'd they get that? I can't imagine. But, um, yeah, so they, he's got a whole chapter on it, and it really is, it was very illuminating. And I mean, it's stuff that's just obvious, but, you know, like, just, you know, how they're, they propose, you know, supposed to be a scientific, they're not scientific at all. And it just, you know, it really is, and they're all, like, so many of them are stage magicians, and, I mean, it's just, um, it's just a very, it's 
very kind of, it's very belief system based, you know, and they're not coming from a point of scientific inquiry at all. And, and I see elements of that in this person's post too, like this attempt to be scientific when it's not in the spirit of, at all. And, and there's an assumption too that, you know, there, that he's, t- I think with a lot of skeptics, they're arguing an argument that they're the only ones involved in. You know, it's like I, I never I never argue for um, angels and UFOs and you know, I'm just asking questions. And I feel right. like that's what you're doing there and that's what the whole that's why I like UFO mystic. I think I didn't know these kind of places existed. I mean, my experience with dealing with paranormal stuff and UFO stuff on the internet was is antiquated. And that's why I haven't done it up until now, is because I didn't honestly stupidly, ignorantly didn't know that there were even other people, like groups of other people that felt, had similar ideas yeah. to mine. Because my experience was, I used to go to this Farsight chat room, and um, that was like that whole um, hail bop thing. I don't know if you like remember all that stuff. Yes, I do. The, that, uh, with Courtney guy. and He's Courtney Brown, out and, there every now and then. And yeah. So I was in this, like, spent a lot of time in this chat room when I was really bored. You know, <laughs> like, you know, twelve years ago when I first started using the internet, I found this place to talk about UFOs and all these interesting characters there, and I wanted to kind of maybe write something about abductees and. And so I thought I'd go here and talk to, and these people were very nice and very whatever, but they were, they had really set belief systems. Yeah. Because they were supposedly objectives. And I just thought that's what it is. Like that is people who are interested in UFOs. And you kind of get that sense too in just reading certain books and, you know, not all books, but a lot of the literature is very kind of belief oriented. And so I have just never really had any kind of, desire to, you know, deal with UFO people online because I don't want to get involved in belief systems and I just want to ask questions and I have ideas and I want to present my ideas and listen to other people's ideas. And I feel like that's really what I found at places like UFO Mystic and, you know, um, other other forums and stuff. And I just didn't really even know it existed because I never looked for it until now. And... I don't feel like anybody really has any set beliefs, but that's what these people are arguing against. It's like, who are you arguing with? Nobody's arguing for, well, I mean, some people are, but not in these places. You know, nobody's saying, like, these are aliens that are abducting people, and it's metal spaceships, and it's like, who are you talking to? You know, can you hear yourself? Like, who is your opponent here? And then it just becomes a battle of personalities, and it's stupid, and I don't know why I get involved. But that's another, like, I just, I have a hard time letting go of, you know, people being illogical and, and not really listen. I hate when people don't really listen. Yeah, exactly. That That's the feeling I get. I mean, very early on, I had a online, you know, head-to-head with them, and I finally said, look, you're assigning opinions to me and then arguing against them that I never said. I know. It's infuriating, and I think that's what he feeds on, and so why am I continuing to, to uh, you know, play a game? I don't know, but I just, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it is infuriating. Yeah, so literally, like, for me, he has turned an entire argument around and then presented my own argument as his words. And then so I'm done really 
actually pretty brilliantly, you know, very subtly. So I, like, you know, might start arguing against myself, you know. I mean, it's crazy. <laughs> you know, so yeah, he's just, needs to be on, he's probably on a high school debate team somewhere. You know, that's, wish he would stay there because that's kind of that. That's kind of what it seems to be about. You know, but he just needs to learn to argue better, I think. Yeah. Well, I notice most of the arguments are going on between the commenters and him now because I specifically tailor my posts so that there's nothing to push against. Right. Unless I really feel strongly about something, I will say. But I don't really feel strongly about anything in the paranormal realm because I haven't made a conclusion yet. Right. You know, I, I don't know if I ever will. It's just, you know, and I think most people on the site and people that have come to it and and, and uh, observers and all that realize that we're just playing with ideas here. Right. We're not arguing that we're right and you're wrong. The only argument we probably have is quit arguing about aliens or not. Because that hasn't yeah, gotten us anywhere. the assumption that that's the argument, you know. Can we get past that? I mean, Go argue with people who are arguing that. You know, that's I don't think that's where the kind of people who are thinking progressively and outside the box are not saying, you know, these are things from other planets necessarily. You know, it's like that's like that I think that argument, the latest little fiasco we had with that guy is in when you if you post um wrong argument again or something like that. Yeah, it was a, <laughs> like, it was astronomer. Can we get past these assumptions? I think the answer is no. That's just, it's just a mainstream manner of thinking, and that's where it's going to stay. And I think we just need to let it be in the mainstream, because that's not where the answers are going to be found anyway. Right. A lot of the things that you talk about and Reagan talks about, uh, Leslie, Tim, Benal, even, you know, and Nick, and even like Paul Kimball, and especially Mac Tonys, these aren't reducible to sound bites. Right. And that's the way things operate. They operate in contentious sound bites. And we, you know, we've all decided to kind of opt out of that. But, you know, automatically that puts us in the well, we don't understand you, so we're going to ignore you thing. Fine. I right. mean, I'm I'm just interested in the subject. Yeah, I agree. Uh it's uh 7 after 10 and uh, the next show is in here waiting, so uh, he said we can keep going, but you know what? That's all the things. Oh, you know what? Um, you've mentioned a couple, um, uh, Demonic Reality and Trickster and the Paranormal, but you have any other favorite paranormal books, UFO books you want to throw at people and say you must read, or these would be helpful? Um, I, li- I really like um, Angels and Aliens. Oh, uh, yeah, Keith Thompson. A good, have you read that one? Yeah, I, I met Keith Thompson a few times. Oh, really? Very nice yeah, guy. I liked it. I thought it was really well written, really good. Very smart guy. Um, Let's see. What are some of my other... There's a really beautiful um, kind of coffee table gift type book called... um, What's it called? Like The Occult and the Paranormal. I've got it listed on my blog. It's, It's just a... For anybody who likes photography and spiritualism. And it's just like this huge coffee table book of... Um, like mediums and all kinds of really cool stuff. That's when I always recommend to people. But it's not like a, you know, philosophy type book. It's right. A, um, I definitely am really into Terrence McKenna lately, so I would think um, archaic revival is necessary for any kind of... I mean, it's just kind of what I'm thinking about now. So, of course, I think it's necessary, but I think um, it's 
definitely must reading, as well as um, Graham Hancock's book Supernatural. I've heard of that. I haven't read it. Uh, it's you have to read. Like the idea of, I mean, it's not even about UFOs, but and he's got a little bit. He kind of goes into the whole UFO thing, and it's just I can't even. I mean, he, <laughs> you know, he just starts thinking about. Um, how UFOs might be some kind of technology um, formed from fairy ring, like the uh, fairy rings that um, what I don't not elves. What are they called? Like the like the fairies? Yes. Were to be seen like dancing and um, creating these rings and then disappearing. And he says he speculates that UFOs might actually be some kind of evolved technology based on that kind of interdimensional travel and it, it just it sounds crazy but I mean it's the way he presents it is that book really opened up a lot of ideas for me just the idea of um, you know the whole psychedelic experience and different realities and it's just right. completely intertwined and I think uh-huh. it, it, it has to have something to do with it I mean it's all just Far too coincidental. Oh my God! Another book that UFOs and aliens. And yeah, yeah I, ke- I keep getting uh, uh, crap from friends saying I read too much stuff that's skeptical because I, I'm always I'm always trying to read stuff that doesn't agree with me. But it'd be nice yeah. to read something that I told. <laughs> it sounds like something I would totally agree with and open up you know, a lot more ideas um, than the skeptical stuff that I try to read. Yeah, um, I highly recommend Supernatural. It's I think probably the best book like that that I've read this whole last year. So I, I can't recommend it highly enough. Okay. Well, I'll pick up a copy of it. I uh, think you'd love it. Okay. Uh, I will. And um, why don't you uh, give yourself a little bit of a plug for your uh, the different sites you appear on, if you would like, and tell people where to go if they want to uh, read your stuff, contact you, etc. Well, my Beamships Equal Love blog is, I think I link everything there. Everywhere I write is linked over there. So that might be just a central place. And it's just um, Beamships Equal Love and Equal Spelled Out mm-hmm. um, .blogspot.com. And then if you just type in Beamships Equal Love on a search engine, I could get comes up the very first thing. So, And then I write um, articles at a place called Associated Content and UFO Digest, and then my column over it, then All of America and the Women of Esoteric blog. And like I said, all that stuff is linked over at Beamship's Equal Love. Okay, great. Uh, Rochelle, thanks so much for coming on. It's I, I don't yeah. know if we talked about the same stuff that you did on Adam's show, but I don't care. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't a total rehashing. We just, I mean, obviously some things were going to come up and they didn't. That's just the way it happened. Well, that's fine then. Um, and... Of course, like I say to everybody, uh, anytime you want to come back on, we'll set it up and we'll talk again maybe in a few months. Great. Okay, thanks so much for coming on uh, with us and uh, talk to you soon. And I will try and get um, the show put up within about a week or so. It always depends on how how quickly I can find where it's been recorded. So um, we'll talk to you soon and see you on the websites. Great. Well, thank you so much for having me on. No problem. Really enjoyed it. Thanks. Okay. Bye. Bye.
Okay, that was Rochelle Hawks, whose uh, main uh, site is beamshipsequallove.blogspot.com. Uh, go and check it out um, for for non-dogmatic discussion of fascinating subjects. 